This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. He's Greg. I'm Nick. We're brought to you by Athletic Greens and, of course, our friends at betonline.ag. Greg, before we get into the Patriots stuff and that story and the Herald, since you and I have not discussed that as of yet, Karen Garigian and Andrew Callahan story, which was fantastic. The big news, the big news across the sports world, the big news in the football world, and the big news in New England and all across this country is Tom Brady. He retires, dot, dot, dot. Again, your thoughts on the announcement. First of all, before we get going, I just want to let everybody know that um, since about Friday, I've been under the weather. So, you know, much like Patrick Mahomes uh, on Sunday with that high ankle sprain, I'm just uh, displaying an incredible amount of toughness plowing through for you people. So if I sound a little bit weird or I start to cough or, you know, whatever else, uh, just let you know, uh, you know, I'm powering through in the interest of this pod. Got to do what's in the best interest of the pod. So uh, I just wanted to, I wanted to, exactly. I just wanted to get that out there. Um, he, mostly I want to hear about it from you on this, Nick, you know, being a Patriots fan and a Brady fan. I, I mean, look, we did this a year ago. Um, it, my only real reaction to this is I'm a little bit disappointed that he's going out like this. Um, mm. I, I do. I understand that this year was incredibly difficult um, for him. Um, it's just kind of amazing to me, you know, just thinking about it, you know, on the fly and not really contemplating on it too much, but like, you know, in the end, um, I, you know, Tom Brady was just so incredible on the field and could overcome so many things. And, you know, at the end of his career, he he actually showed how mortal he was in terms of um, the difficulties that were going on in his personal life, uh, the toll that they took on him. Um, and, you know, you just did you, when we watched Tom Brady, you didn't think he was human. And, and in many ways, he wasn't. Um, he wasn't made of the same sort of tissue and blood that the rest of us were, just in terms of what he was able to do on a football field, how he was able to will uh, the Patriots most of all to so many great moments over the years. Um, you know, I really learned covering Tom Brady that um, to never under ever underestimate the man. And I had never learned that before in my NFL career. And, you know, in the end, um, he, he was mortal, just like the rest of us. I mean, it's, it's disappointing in some respect that it has to end like this. Um, that season with the Bucks, um, him beat up, him scared behind the offensive line, the Bucks a shell of themselves, a tough operation under, a, you know, a new head coach. Um, I did not think that's the way it was going to end. Uh, but unfortunately, even our heroes can't pick their final script. So, you know, a little bit disappointing, but, uh, you know, really right where we were about a year ago when we were celebrating Tom's career and his greatness, nothing has really changed in the past year. He played another football season. It'll never, we'll never really think about it. We'll think about the seven Super Bowl titles and the three MVPs and, and the unbelievable accomplishments on the field. And, you know, this, no one will remember this and and that's the way it should be. I'm surprised too. I, I was thinking he was going to come back for one more year. Um, we talked about it. I think when the season was over for him, I mean, getting humiliated by the Dallas Cowboys 
at home is not how I kind of envisioned his career ending. But as you said, you know, scripts don't go perfect all the time. It ends when it ends. And so it is, it is disappointing to see that the Tampa Bay kind of unsettled situation, I think impact his season this year, Byron Leftwich was overwhelmed as an offensive coordinator a lot of times this year. And it, it wasn't great for, for the team, and it wasn't great for Tom. I do wonder if, if things were different personally and even professionally if, if he would stay for one more season. I wonder if Tampa had a, a little bit of a firm grasp on what the hell they were doing instead of their entire staff imploding and Bruce Arians you know, leaking out that he's angry and you know, all these guys getting fired. I wonder if Tom would have hung on for another year if Tampa was in a better situation. I think he looks at the Bucks organization right now and the team, the roster, and he says, "Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. We, we're not gonna, we're not gonna win anything next year." And that brings me to the personal side of this. You know, Tom had a very, very rough year personally. We know going back a few years ago, his, his mom was diagnosed with cancer, and he he had to get through that. And and he's gone through a number of things personally during his career. But this past season just seemed different. It hit different for him. Uh, he lost 15 pounds during the season. You would see him when he was speaking to the media. He just looked gaunt. He looked like he was done. Um, physically, he, he looked like he was tired. He, he didn't look like himself. And I think a lot of that had to do with what he was going through personally. And so yeah, I, I don't know at, at, at 45, 46 years old, coming off of a divorce, going through what he went through mentally and physically and professionally this year, I don't know if Tom was was ready to kind of pack his bags and move across the country to play for Vegas or San Francisco. I think he probably looked around and said, yeah, the team's not going to be very good. This was a really tough year. I just want to stay where I'm at. You know, I, I don't feel like moving and maybe he'll move. Maybe he'll move back closer to his parents. I don't know. But this is all just, you know, me kind of trying to figure out why he's walking away. I could see him saying, no, I want to I want to stay here. I want to stay close to my kids. Don't don't want to go through what I just went through this past year. It's it's just better for me to walk away at this time. So um, it, it is it is disappointing and surprising, but the dude is the goat. And there's no argument, no matter what Mike Francesa wants to say ridiculously on ESPN television this morning. Couldn't care less. Uh, Brady is the goat. And if anybody disagrees with that, they just don't know football and they probably should not talk football uh, for the rest of their lives. Moving on. Let's look at the Patriots. Uh, the Boston Herald uh, came out with a story, Karen Garigian. And, and can I just say this about Karen? Because I tweeted out uh, a, a shout out to Andrew Callahan at the time. I didn't realize that Karen wrote it as well. I just want to give my props to Karen, who's been on the beat for a long time. She's a veteran. Um, she's done great work. She's awesome. So uh, shout out to, to Karen Garigian for, for also being a part of this story with Andrew. Man, oh man, Greg, there was a lot in here. Um, I know some of it we could have figured out by watching the season unfold. I know some of it had been implied during the season, but this really gave us a clear picture as to how much of a disaster it was in that building for the offense this past year. Yeah, and and I will echo your thoughts on Karen. I mean, um, Karen's one of my favorite people um, on the beat. She's somebody that, um, you know, we often talk and sort of, sort of consult with each other or at least um uh bend an ear uh because we've both been at it a long time and um you know there's a, a lot of respect there and i just think um i think karen's 
you know, fabulous. I think he's, she's entirely underrated. People don't appreciate, um, yep. how good she is, uh, because she doesn't typically do a lot of the, the splashy stuff that, that some of us do, but she's just, she's a pro's pro. And, uh, I, the, the one word I would use to describe Karen is, um, relentless. She is, uh, relentless in doing her job. And it's been that way for about 30 years. Um, and across sports, she, she started out, I think, as far as I know, covering the Bruins. Um, so she's done it all. and She's um, tremendous. You know, my my general comment on this story is I think it was a, it was a good story. It it advanced uh, the story. A lot of the stuff that we've been talking about and even some of the stuff that I've written over the course of the year, I sort of wrote my uh, my offensive breakdown of, with about like two or three weeks left um, in the season. And, um, you know, they, they had some fabulous quotes in the story. Um, the, the, the bill Eftus quote is just a tremendous quote <laughs> that I give my left arm for. So, you know, kudos to them for, for getting that. Um, you know, uh, it, it's not really a criticism of the story because they, they wrote the story that they thought they could write. And, and, you know, they, and I got this question on Felger and Maz the other day because I've talked about, I've said this team is dysfunctional. Um, and people have been, they, they want specifics. And I'm just not, that's just not the way journalism works. I mean, I, I know what I know, but there's a difference between what I know and what I can report. And um, right. I will report what I'm comfortable reporting in terms of my ethics uh, when I do. And I don't know if that will happen. That's not the way journalism works. I mean, I have I have anecdotes, but I need those anecdotes to me. I need them confirmed by other people. And to this point, I haven't gotten that. Um, I'm hoping that some some time and some distance uh, allows for that to happen. But, you know, who, who knows? But this is the story that the Herald ran. Um, this is what they were comfortable with reporting. Um, my my thought, my overall thought on writing about the Patriots 2022 offense and their dysfunction. And it was dysfunctional. And we've been telling you that it's been dysfunctional the entire season from May on um, from what I was hearing from people behind the scenes and, um, and what we've seen on film, um, you know, what I saw in practices, uh, what I was hearing from people, you know, all along the way. And if, if people needed some specifics like this to, to really believe it, um, that's fine. Um, but this is where the Patriots have been, you know, all season, as we've told you. Um, in my opinion, you can't write the story of the 2022 Patriots offense without Bill Belichick as the central figure. And um, and none of us have been able to nail that down yet. And I don't know what the reasons for that is. It could be, you know, that Bill, uh, that he's still – protected he's still insulated a lot in terms of the people around him and people not wanting to point a finger at bill um for fear of what have you um but the truth of the matter is he is the central figure in this i think that the herald story went hard on joe judge in particular and matt patricia and we all sort of knew that and and i think that to me that's unfair i think it's unfair to those two guys um, yes, they were at fault for, um, I guess, accepting the position. But, you know, Bill Belichick put them in that position. Bill Belichick is the head coach and the director of football operations of the New England Patriots. 
He was there the entire time. He should have known what was going on. He should have known it was dysfunctional. Why? Where was he in this? How often was he in the meetings? Did he know what was going on? Was he detached? Did he not want to know? Why didn't he fix things? Why didn't he try to make things better? And, you know, and I've heard Albert Breer talk about this, and I've heard this as well. You know, Bill Belichick, from what I've been told, was basically devoted all of his time to the offense um, this season. And if that's the case, he has to be the central figure in all this. I mean, in a lot of ways, if we're talking about if we're if we're pointing the finger at Joe Judge and Matt Patricia for being uh, at fault for all this, to me, it's akin to, you know, blaming the Watergate, you know, stopping at the Watergate burglars. In in that story, I mean, you know, it's like G. Gordon Patricia, and you know, it's <laughs> there's more there. They, you know, these people were doing it at the direction of somebody, and to me, I think <clears throat> Bill Belichick is that central figure. I don't know we'll, if we will, we'll ever get that story, um, but I think that uh, you know, I thought they did a they did a great job advancing the story. Hopefully, one of us doesn't have to be me. Could be Tommy Kern. Could be Mike Reese. Could be Jim McBride, you know. Could be whoever uh, can get the 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 true scope of what went on because I think that to me that's the story of the 2022 Patriots. Yeah, Joe Judge looks particularly awful in yes. the story uh, with a number of anecdotes. Uh, just not good for him at all. I think Matt Patricia. Nick, here's a, here, one thing on that, Nick. Sure. And we've talked about this before, and I've written it before. Like, this isn't the first time that Joe Judge has been a disaster on offense. When he was yeah. the 2019, when he went over to wide receivers in 2019 and did double duty, he was a freaking disaster. And and just like in 2019, according to the Herald story, uh, Joe Judge was, and, and I made references to Felger and Maz, I started asking questions like, where's Joe Judge in all this about two-thirds of the way through the season? And from what I was hearing, he he had been pushed aside largely in his offense. The same thing happened in 2019. Yet three years later, Bill Belichick puts Joe judge, not only back on offense, but handling the quarterbacks, like the most important position on the field. So to me, that's just a dereliction of duty. And to me, it speaks to, um, you know, what we're going on, what's going on this off season with the crafts sort of stepping up the crafts, in my opinion, uh, facilitating Bill O'Brien being back here as offensive coordinator. And to me, I think that's essential. I think it's good, a good job by the crafts because I think at this point in time, I look at Bill Belichick as an aging quarterback and I, and I've covered them. I covered the end of Marino. I covered the end of uh, Brett Favre. And, you know, now we see the end of Tom Brady and what happens with those aging quarterbacks, you know, they have these big egos because they've been great for so long, but they don't realize they don't want to admit that they need a lot of help. They need a really good offensive line. They need a good running game. They need play action. They can't just rely on their skills anymore. And I see Bill Belichick the same way where he still thinks he's in his prime Bill Belichick, that he can do it all, but he's not seeing his limitations. So I think the crafts see that. And if Bill's not going to realize it, they're going to say, Hey, Bill, guess what? We're going to help you out here. 
You need a real offensive coordinator that can handle the offense and you can get back to worrying about defense and special teams and and game situations and things like that and coaching the Patriots up. And so, you know, I think that I think that what we saw in recent years with Joe Judge, to me, it's emblematic of Belichick not just not being not realizing he's not he's not the same coach as he was in his prime. And I think it's a good job by the Crafts to uh, to step in. Yeah. Uh, as I was saying, Joe Judge looks awful. Uh, Matt Patricia, to me, looks more overwhelmed in this story than bad. Just seems like he was a guy who was thrown into a situation, as we've talked about, who didn't really know what to do and how to do it. And he was given two full-time jobs before the season kicked off with the offensive line. Of course, one of them went away within like a week. But that's how it came across to me that Joe Judge was pretty much, you know, useless and looks terrible. Patricia was just completely overwhelmed. And, you know, to, to kind of highlight your point about Bill Belichick, Greg, you know, there, there really isn't, you know, we can sit there, we could, we could read these things in the story like, okay, so the install, you know, they were getting pretty much half the install they usually got with Josh McDaniels. And they had like no play action plays all season long. You and I were talking about where the hell is the play action when they Mac Jones was great in play action his rookie year. They're good in play action when they go to it. And then if you read the story, you find out, well, that they weren't even really ready with play action. Where's Belichick and all of that. Does Bill not step in and say, uh, we got to get more, um, uh, we got to get more play action. Where's Bill in all of this. He's just kind of hanging back, just watching the circus play out. Like it, it's his Mm -hmm. job to step in and go, Whoa guys, you know, we're ass over tea kettle to use a mass term in, in, in this offense right now, we got to change things. We got to scrap certain plans. We got to, we have to, we have to make sure that we're doing the best by our players. And it, it just, the story, because there is such lack of, of depth with Belichick, it, it just seems like, Hey man, he was sitting back, letting all of this chaos happen and didn't really feel the urgency to step in at any point. And, and try to change things up. And, and I don't know if save the day is the right term, but at least, I don't know, throw, throw some kind of a life raft out to Mac Jones in this offense. Uh, before we move on with some other stuff, Greg, I, I'd love for you to tell the people about our friends at Athletic Greens. If you're watching us on YouTube right now, do us a favor and give us the good old thumbs up. Give us the like. That's how this world works. It's not because we have an ego and we want to see how many likes we can get. The more likes we get, the more YouTube actually allows us to be seen by people, which is a very nice thing. So if you like the content, if you enjoy what Greg and I do and you're watching us on YouTube, please just uh, click that thumbs up button. Give us a like and it will help us out tremendously. A little effort from you means a lot to us. One more question, Greg, about this story before we move on to your top 15 Patriots of this past season. Uh, Matt Patricia, not with the team in Vegas. Joe Judge was with the team in Vegas. This story coming out, do you think it could impact Belichick's you know, decisions as far as Judge and Patricia go? I do. And, and uh, it's, it's part of the reason why, at least, look, and this is just me, and I may be wrong. I'm not no I'm, – I'm not a dean of journalism or anything, and I've certainly made more than my mistakes in my career. But, you know, some of the reason why you sort of give things like the Patriots train wreck offense this season some room to breathe after the season is because, you know, you give people room to make changes. And then once you make changes, then maybe people feel a little bit more free to talk and and put things into context and things like that. Um, you know, trust me when I tell you this, that Bill Belichick is not above, um, 
zagging if the if m- media reports think he's going to go a certain way. Um, like you know, if you report like, oh well, they're getting ready to cut this guy or whatever. Like I, not my reports, but I've seen people report and then Belichick go a different way. And uh, some of it, I think he just says, I'm, I'm not going to do what people think I'm going to do. So in that regard, I think that, you know, this, this story, look, you know, this story basically throws Joe judge and Matt Patricia under a bus. I mean, they really are on the hook, you know, as you said earlier, Nick, for a lot of, uh, what went on in this story and you know don't think that Belichick's not above seeing that and being like man what I'm gonna let go of these guys right now how is that gonna look how's that gonna look for their careers I mean I asked these guys to do this um, it's really my fault how can I let them go now after this um, so I think that there's there's a chance that um it looks like Albert Breer reported, or no, Scott Zolak reported 100. Well, I think he reported 100% that Cam Acord's back. Um, oh. I don't know in what role, but he said 100%. I think Burr Breer said 100% that Joe Judge is back. And at the, at the Shrine Bowl practices, he was on the offensive side. I, I would not be surprised. And I haven't heard this. This is just my guess. And, and putting some of the puzzle pieces together from the last time judge was here and what the, the roles that they were thinking about with him, I would not be surprised if Bill Belichick doesn't put Joe judge as like assistant quarterbacks coach under Billy O'Brien to sort of learn under O'Brien be groomed to be the next guy, which is I think about the worst thing that they can do. I mean, I think if, if, and we've talked about this before, Nick, I think if Bill wants to really without coming out and saying, admitting how much he screwed up to the players, you know, jettisoning Joe Judge and Matt Patricia would be a way of showing the guys, all right, Bill gets it. He's he's moving on. We all have a clean slate going in the next year. Last year was forgettable. We're going to forget about it and move on. But if if Joe Judge is back on the offensive staff and Matt Patricia is around in, say, the front office or what have you, um, are they really moving on? And And are they really making amends for what happened this season? I have my doubts about that. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, I think certainly Matt Patricia, look, if he's going to stay within the organization and that seems like a big if at the moment, if he is going to stay with the organization, then, you know, put him up in the, in the box, let him be, as we've talked about Ernie Adams, let, let him, I mean, even if he wants to toy around a little bit on the defensive side, as long as you've got Mayo and, and Steve Belichick and, you know, dealing with things and now bill now that he won't be so focused on the offense. Okay. But I just, I don't need to see a lot of Patricia this year. I don't need to see any of Joe judge this year. If Joe judge is going to stay in the organization, put him on special teams or put, you know, hide him, hide him away, whatever you're going to do, just hide him and don't make him a big part of the plan. And as far as Acord goes, look, he was awful the last two years, downright awful. He does not deserve mm-hmm. to be the special teams coordinator for this team. Uh, maybe he stays on with a different title. I don't know. I-, I would like to see Belichick just cut the cord from all of these guys, frankly, and move forward. The one thing I would say is if Joe Judge is going to end up on the offensive side of the ball, at least Bill O'Brien will be there to babysit him and, and-, and try to keep him in his place. If you're grooming him to be some kind of like future wizard of the staff, then I'm I'm concerned about that. So we'll we'll see how all these kind of dominoes fall, how all of this comes together. 
but I would much rather see less of Patricia and judge than I've ever seen of them before near a football field. That's, that's my personal thought. All right, let's go to the uh, top 15 Patriots of 2022. Uh, we'll, we'll run through these rather quickly, Greg, uh, just give people an idea as to where uh, you had uh, the top 15 this season, how you rank them before we get into the top 15 and the names, just give, give the people the idea, the listeners, the idea and the viewers, the idea uh, of how you put this list together. Yeah. So basically I just, I, I had a preseason list, um, you know, ranking of the players and where I saw them at that time. It's not really a projection. It's just like where they were when the season started. And now I take a look after, you know, my grades and things like that. And, and I slot them and overall, um, you know, more than half the roster, um, from the difference between the preseason and the, and the postseason ranking, um, over half the roster got worse this year. And I don't mm. think that's a surprise considering, you know, what went on on offense. Um, I think the defense largely uh, held where they were, um, you know, but some guys dipped like, you know, Christian Barmore was a guy who I had at number two before the season. And he ended up, even though he, you know, missed a lot of time, he still ended up ninth, um, you know, on my, on my postseason list. Um, but, you know, in general, I think the big takeaway was I thought that a majority of this roster got worse. And I think when you look at um, sort of like the top 15 and descending, it's Devin McCourty, Jonathan Jones, Mac Jones went from, it really wasn't a big difference. Cause I think that's, I, I, I wasn't expecting a lot from Mac, from the coaching and everything and what was going on with the offense. So I had him 12th before the season. He ended up 13th after the season. Uh, Kyle Duggar, Dietrich Wise, Marcus Jones made a huge leap from 42nd to 10th. Christian Barmore, Josh Uche went from 37th to 8th. Devontae wow. Parker, you know, because D Josh Uche, in looking back at my comments in the preseason, like at the time, he had only proven that he was a speed guy, go around the edge guy. He, yeah. he changed. He definitely became an all around rusher, developed a bull rush, you know, a lot of different pass rush moves, which was uh, tremendous. Devontae Parker went from 17 to seven. Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson both slotted in at six and five, just like they did before the season. Michael Wenu, who remember uh, before the season, the last we saw of Michael Wenu, he was a failed left guard. Um, Yes, he was a failed left guard to where Teddy Karras played for him last year. And all of a sudden he's inserted a right guard. And we're like, well, is this going to work any better? Obviously it did. Uh, Jacoby Myers went from 15th to third. David Andrews went from ninth to second. And Matthew Judon went from one to one. And my <laughs> other big takeaway in this, Nick, is, you know, and, and I've heard people talk about they don't think the roster is that bad. And I do think it can be a competitive roster, but in terms of that they want to really be a contender going forward. Billy O'Brien is going to help on the offense. Getting Bill Belichick to help out more with special teams and defense and game management will make the Patriots better. But I still think I still think this, this roster is really lacking. And when you look at Jacoby Myers at third, Damian Harris at sixth, like these are guys who could be on the way out. Um, yep. And you look at some of these guys – that are in my top 15, um, you know, like a Dietrich wise, even though he had a full-time role this year, um, you know, Marcus Jones, Christian Barmore, uh, you know, we're talking about some part-time players. Josh Uche was a role. He's still a role player. He's just a pass rush guy. 
And to me, when we talk about the best Patriots teams and, you know, you go back to 2014 and we're talking about guys like Darrell Revis and Tom Brady and Julian Edelman and uh, Rob Gronkowski and Dante Hightower and Jamie Collins when he was in his prime and, you know, Shaq Mason. And, you know, you're talking about Joe Tooney. You're talking about those teams, those championship level teams had a really nice top layer of talent. I just think this team doesn't have that yet. And they really need to concentrate on, you know, you're, they're going to have to import some of that or draft some of it, but they're going to have to get back to developing these guys. Cause I just don't think the roster is there at this point in time. Yeah. I mean, you look at it, McCordy is likely gone. Jonathan Jones could be gone. Um, Harris could be gone. Like you said, you've got a number of guys, Jacoby Myers could be gone. So four of your top 15 could already be gone due to free agency. Uh, I will say that, you know, you look at the list, you see a number of younger guys, which I think speaks to how yes. decent to good, how, you know, Belichick and company have actually drafted the last few years. Right. I mean, you've got Mac on the list, you've got Duggar on the list, you've got Marcus Jones, Barmore, Uche, um, you know, Stevenson, Owenu, all of those guys have been drafted the last three or four years. So um, that's good to see is the influx of, of younger talent into the top 15. I think they do need pieces for sure. And, and we'll talk about it as we get, you know, through this off season, but I, I do think they need to add some talent to this team and they need to, once again, I know it might be shocking, even though we've talked about it roughly 773 times the last three years, speed, speed yeah. on this team would be a beautiful thing. So uh, top 15, um, good list from uh, Bedard again, McCordy, Jonathan Jones, Mac Jones, Duggar wise, Marcus Jones, uh, Barmore, Uche, Parker, Harris, Stevenson. Harris is higher than I thought. Uh, Stevenson, Owenu, Myers, Andrews, and Judon. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, BetOnline is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code CLNS50, that's CLNS50, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, Greg, uh, as we move forward, we'll talk a lot about the Patriots. As I just mentioned a moment ago, you know, we'll, we'll talk all the off season stuff. We'll see how this coaching staff comes together. We got the draft coming up. Of course we've got free agency in March. A lot's going to happen. The Patriots have 38, I think $39 million in, in cap space. So it's going to be a busy off season, but we have to still get through the postseason in the NFL. So what were your thoughts, your reactions to the championship games on Sunday? Of course we had Kansas city, Cincinnati as the nightcap. Uh, before that, we had San Francisco and Philadelphia, which obviously was very disappointing with the quarterback injuries to the Niners. Yeah, I thought, um, you know, sort of my big takeaway. I mean, I guess, you know, in general, I think the two best teams are are meeting in the Super Bowl. I think that um, the Eagles, in my opinion, have they're they're the the most talented overall team. Um, I think they're. Uh, I think the two the two teams that advanced also protected their quarterback. 
um, the best. I think that that really matters. I also thought that their defensive lines dominated those games. I think that, um, you know, uh, the thing that drove me crazy all weekend was just the poor game management um, by, you know, basically all the coaches in this game. I mean, you know, even even Nick Sirianni, I mean, you certainly had Zach Taylor. Everybody wants to blame um, uh, uh, what's it, Osai for the personal foul penalty. And it was, you know, look, he's a 22 year old kid. He had a brain fart. You know, Mahomes maybe acted a little bit. Um, I, it had to be called there. That's a 15 yard penalty. Zach Taylor deciding to punt the, a line drive right down the middle of the field with 40 seconds left in the game, and the and the Chiefs uh, the Chiefs only having one timeout was just stupid. It was and yeah. they returned the they returned the punt 29 yards. It was double the 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 penalty that Osai had, and that gave the Chiefs a chance. That has to be punted near the sideline if not out of bounds and if you want to give up a few yards it's still they have the ball at the 35 with about 30 something seconds left in one timeout and butker going in that direction doesn't have a whole lot of distance so he had to get inside 50 to to make it i mean it, it, as long as you play smart defense which the Bengals usually do uh they probably go to overtime and i thought that that decision was terrible i thought that um some of a- andy reed's decision before um, halftime when they went three straight passes without, you know, getting to the two minute warning and, and running the clock. That was dumb. They were, they had a, they had a big lead at the time. I think it was like uh, 13 to three or something at that point. And they, they opened it up to the Bengals to come back. And I thought uh, Kyle Shanahan, uh, he also, his decision to be aggressive before halftime with Josh Johnson at quarterback, they're down 14 to seven, with the ball, the Eagles only have two timeouts left. If you're Kyle Shanahan, if you're a real head coach and you're managing the game, you have to think, all right, how do I get at worst to halftime down 14 to seven and we get the ball back after halftime? And he didn't manage that. He got way too aggressive. Josh Johnson drops the snap, which, you know, might happen. They were rushing at the time. They didn't need yep. to, they didn't need to rush. They had all three timeouts. Take your time. Make sure you know what you're doing. And, you know, that fumble there, all of a sudden they're down 21 to seven. And now the game's over just because Kyle Shanahan made a game management mistake. Andy Reid, you know, same sort of thing. You know, he, 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 he made a mistake. Sirianni had a mistake after halftime. They're up 21 to seven and he keeps throwing the ball and he gets <laughs> bailed out. They, they were spo- They punted, but the, um, the uh not the eagles who did they play the 49ers get the roughing the punter penalty and that gives them a first down and now they go up 28 to 7 but sirianni made a mistake before that where you're not playing the 49ers anymore you're now playing the clock run the clock and so i just thought there was a bunch of game management issues it to me it shows to me that there's still an opening if bill belichick can get back to managing the game and being that guy instead of you know, having to worry about the offense all the time. If he can get back to that, he can still give the Patriots an edge in, in, in that part of the game. Chris Jones was a monster in the AFC championship game. Spagnolo moved him all yes. along the defense line. He played both edges. He played inside and he was just absolutely dominant going through double teams, going through chips. Go, I mean, just you name it. He did it. He was a one man wrecking crew on that D line for the uh for the chiefs and like if you want to go crazy you could 
in the best world of all worlds for Patriots fans, that Christian Barmore, if he could, if he could give you some of that, move him along the line and have him pressure and do all those kinds of, I mean, you want to talk about a, a great performance. Chris Jones had it. I agree with you. The coaching Kyle Shanahan, not only, you know, the, the end of the first half, which I completely agree with you. I had a few people on Twitter coming at me like, Oh, the guy's going to catch the snap. I understand the fumble is not on Shanahan, but the fact that he was rushing his fourth string quarterback yep. And, you know, you're down by seven, you're getting the football to start the third quarter, go into the locker room, by a touchdown, uh, you know, tell everybody to take a big breath, get with Josh Johnson for a couple of minutes and go over the game plan and go out there down by seven, getting the ball. But you, you decided to, to run quick and, you know, throw the football and then have Josh Johnson, you know, running up to the line of scrimmage and again, playing quick and getting shotgun snaps and the weather wasn't perfect. And, and when you ask a guy who's a fourth string quarterback who is already overwhelmed, you put him in that kind of a situation in that kind of pressure spot. Yeah. Guess what? The guy could screw up and he did screw up. He fumbled the snap. Then he fumbled it on the ground. And now you lose the football and you go into halftime down by 14 game over. It's done. The other thing about Shanahan that I just, <sighs> so Brock Purdy gets hurt. And uh, the reason why, one of the reasons why Brock Purdy gets hurt is because Kyle Shanahan's protection plan and O-line coach protection plan sucked. They decided to have a backup tight end block one-on-one -on -one Hassan Reddick, who went into this game as one of the top pass rushers in the NFL this year. And your backup tight end got his ass handled. And because of that, Reddick got in, hits Purdy, Purdy gets hurt. Now, of course, yes, quarterbacks get hit all the time and they don't tear their UCLs. I understand that. But guess what? The quarterback does not tear his UCL if he doesn't get hit by Reddick. And maybe if he had a better protection plan, he would not have been hit by Reddick. And later in the game, he has, you know, Reddick being chipped by Jawan Jennings, the wide receiver who misses the chip um, as he's going out for his route. And George Kittle, the timing's all screwed up. So Kittle can't get over and, and chip, chip Reddick as well. Jennings and Kittle were supposed to, you know, both knock uh, Reddick askew. Well, Jennings, the wide receiver screws up because you're trying to do that. Kittle's his timing's off. So Reddick gets in there and smashes. I think it was Josh Johnson. So like the protection plan, like you, you can't go against the defensive line, like the Eagles and be like, yeah, we're going to block them with our wide receiver and our backup tight end. It's just, it's not a good idea. It's not a good idea at all. Um, we can save the Super Bowl stuff until, until next week, Greg BSJ member question of the day today. Yeah. Uh, TB 12, FTW, which I guess means for the win, uh, brought up, um, you know, a point. He said he's completely on board with the week off for most playoff teams. So I, I just wanted to um, see what you thought about this, Nick. But, um, you know, in terms of these playoffs and, and who knows, it could be a one off. I was very over underwhelmed by these playoffs in general, yeah. just the, the play itself. And, you know, the officiating had something to do with it. I think that it's always going to be a problem for the league until they really address it and with pay and training and things like that. And I don't know if they ever will, but like I, I've always, you know, me, I've always been against the single buy. Um, and now we have both number one seeds. It didn't work out last year. It did this year. Um, I think it's too much of an advantage for those teams because I, and I, and I think that, because of the disparity in the schedules, like a lot of teams just get the number one seed because they, they had an easier, like out of division schedule. Like they play like the AFC South one year. Like why should they get the number one buy just because they had an easier road. So I've always been like a double buy type of guy. Um, 
But I think the I think the the NFL needs to do something about the playoff format. Um, you know, one of the things, and I, I don't know all the permutations because I'm not a math major and I'm an idiot um, in a lot of <laughs> regards. But something along the lines of. I'm in favor with the 17 week season now. And it's obvious that these teams are limping to the, to the postseason. Um, you know, trying to get through with only one bye week. If you're not going to do a double bye week during the season, then I think they need to figure out some, some way where maybe they, maybe they put an eighth team into the playoffs and they do like a play in, um, round the first week of the playoffs and all the other teams that normally qualify for the playoffs, they get a week off. Um, you know, to, to rest, heal up, maybe the top two teams or the top one team, whatever, maybe they get another buy. I don't know how that would work out, but I think the format that they have right now, where they go right into the playoffs and only one team gets a week off. I'm sorry. You're just asking for bad football championship weekend. And I thought that's what we largely got this weekend. Even though chiefs Bengals was highly competitive. I don't think it was good football at all. And I think these guys are just exhausted by the end of the season playing 17 out of 18 weeks. I mean, when you extrapolate say the Bengals because they didn't have a buy, they're playing what 20 out of 21 weeks. That's just absurd. So to me, the NFL needs to step back and think about their playoff format and think about making playoff football the best that it can be. At least contemplate a a double buy during the regular season. I don't know if two buys, you know, by at the end of the year would help. I think, you know, you, you do wonder about teams losing their rhythm and their flow if they've got it going on pretty well. Um, you know, so how much is too much? The the number one seed getting the buy and nobody else, I agree with you. I don't like that. I haven't liked it since day one. I think it's too much of an advantage for those one seeds. I think they have to have, I mean, go beyond contemplation. I think they have to have two bye weeks during the regular season. And we just had a lot of bad football this year, man. Just a lot mm-hmm. of bad football. And the playoffs weren't great. Hopefully the Super Bowl is is much better. They do obviously have the bye this week in between. Hopefully we have a great Super Bowl. Uh, but this year, was it was just a lot of bad football across the board. He's Greg. I'm Nick. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles, brought to you by Athletic Greens and, of course, betonline.ag. Any breaking news will be on it. Until next week, be good, be safe, be healthy, and we'll talk to you then. 